Gerritsen and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City, 1510 AM and 94.5 FM. It is Wednesday, and it's another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I am your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. We promised to have plenty in Chiefs Bills talk today, but to open up the show, I wanted to touch a little bit on college basketball. The three local teams were in action last night, two of them winners, one of them being a loser. And the first team we're going to talk about in the Missouri Tigers, who fell in Tuscaloosa to the Alabama Crimson Tide 93 to 75 some close moments in the late stages of the first half and midway through the second but in the end Missouri's defense was just no match for Alabama who put up nearly 60 points in the second half to win by 18 over Missouri who now falls to 8 and 9 they are sub 500 0 and 4 in SEC play and all but I want to say wrapping up their chances at having a puncher's chance, a fighter's chance to get into the NCAA tournament. I don't know after starting eight and or zero and four and eight and nine overall how you're going to rattle off a, a chunk of wins with the schedule you still have to go. Uh, you still have to go on the road to A and M. You have to go on the road to Ole Miss, who's top twenty-five. You still take on Tennessee, who's top ten. You got to go on the road to Arkansas. You're going to get Auburn and Ole Miss back at home. In South Carolina, who all of a sudden, you know, is a tough out at 14 and three. There's some really tough opponents on the schedule. And I just, I don't think if you enter the SEC tournament with 12 losses and really no impressive wins, you're not getting in with 13 losses because Missouri's not winning the SEC tournament. Uh, even in years where they've been on the upswing and more competitive, it's hard to win the SEC tournament. So many teams uh, that play down there in, I believe, Atlanta. Is it Atlanta or Nashville where they have the SEC tournament? Um, I know the SEC championship for football is in Atlanta, but I, I think Nashville. Nashville, okay. Yeah. So Nashville's where they're going to have it. Yeah, for Missouri, uh, this was always going to be the gap year that we've talked about. They've got a really good recruiting class coming in next year. And simply put, uh, they don't have the post presence. I don't think they've got the speed. They've got scores. I think Tamar Bates uh, is a, a really good scorer coming over from Indiana. I think Nick Honor uh, is a great three-point shooter when he can get his looks. Noah Carter, a good stretch four. Sean East, probably the best scorer of the bunch. But they just don't have that post presence that really can make Missouri a a physical, physical bunch. Uh, last year, you had Kobe Brown, who wasn't a true five, but a very powerful four. I think a true stretch four, unlike Noah Carter. I think Noah Carter's a good stretch four. Kobe Brown was the definition of a stretch four. You bring in Connor Vanover, who's on his third or fourth school. He's seven foot five, but you know you can't play him that long. He's not really the imposing seven foot five, seven foot six guy that you thought you were getting. And Alabama exploited that immediately. There was not a single thing defensively Missouri could throw at Alabama, and it worked effectively. Uh, they turned Alabama over a few times late in the first half that allowed them to claw back into it. 
but when they needed that big stop in the second half, they couldn't get it. Now, there was a very controversial moment in this game involving Nate Oates and Aiden Shaw. Uh, this was a, a nasty game, a lot of trash talking, few technical fouls were thrown out, but there was kind of this scrum between Missouri and Alabama players, and Nate Oates kind of, you know, injected himself or interjected himself into this situation and then shoved Aiden Shaw, which there's an unwritten rule. Maybe it's not even unwritten. I think it should have been a technical foul, and I believe Missouri's already filed a complaint uh, to the SEC officials group to take a look into this because this is something I believe that should warrant at least a one-game suspension. The unwritten rule or the written rule is that you cannot put your hands on another player. No, you, you just can't do that as a head coach. Even if you are trying to protect your player or prevent a fight, you can't do what Nate Oates did. I mean, if you're, you know, I remember this one game I was watching back in November. It was K-State and Providence. And this Providence kid, you know, threw an absolute right hook at Data Ames, one of the freshmen at Kansas State, and Kim English, former Missouri Tiger, so it's fitting for this conversation, he basically held Data Ames back because he knew in that moment, you know, the last thing you want is a fist fight breaking out and somebody getting hurt or getting suspended. So he basically just you know, bear hugs him and keeps him from going forward. That's acceptable to me. That is acceptable because you are preventing a full-on brawl. Nate Oates uh, just shoved and kind of was pointing at Aiden Shaw like a player would, you know, like kind of amplifying or adding fuel to the fire of this scrum. And you can't do that. Uh, there's no excuse for doing that. And, and Nate Oates apologized to Dennis Gates. Um, I'm kind of shocked that that didn't result in more. Uh, nothing came of it. And what's funny is I was watching this game, and um, there was a play late in the first half where uh, Grant Nelson, uh, the transfer from North Dakota State for Alabama, big-time scorer, you know, six eleven, seven foot, he blocked um, – who was it now that I think about it? I believe it was Anthony Robinson of Missouri. And now you can't do this in college basketball. If you block somebody, uh, you can't start jawing with them. You can't start you know trash-talking them right in their face. He did that immediately teed up. Like, might have gotten three words out and got teed up. And to my – you know – Thoughts. I'm going, okay, so shoving a player, a coach shoving a player and with not great intent results in nothing. But if you block somebody and exchange a few words, no, that results in a technical foul. It was a weirdly officiated game. But the, the fact of the matter is, with this Missouri team, they're just not good enough. They're not good enough in any hope that Missouri fans might have had or Dennis Gates had after that performance in Lawrence against Kansas, it's not really shown up. I think you have seen a, a Missouri team that is completely outmatched. They've got uh, no defensive ability, none whatsoever. I mean, since that Kansas game where they only gave up 73 against a very a potent offense, they gave up 93 to Seton Hall, 97 to Illinois. They gave up 75 to Georgia at home, 90 to Kentucky, 71 to South Carolina, and 93 to Alabama. That's a lot of 90s. And you're not going to win many college basketball games when you're giving up 90. Not unless it's going to overtime, and you've also put yourself in the 90-point the range. There are scores on this team but unlike last year, where I think Missouri's defensive identity was we're going to speed you up, we're going to turn you over, they don't have that. They're kind of just hoping that teams miss shots. 
Uh, they're trying to force turnovers from time to time, but they don't have a rim protector. Uh, their guards are undersized. Their guards are not uber-physical. And I think when it really breaks down, you know, when a, a defensive lapse happens, they, they rarely recover. You know, If they've got uh, guys closing out late, if they're scrambling on the defensive end, they're not going to uh, pick up the right guy, or they're going to leave somebody wide open under the goal. That's what I saw in this game against Alabama. And don't get me wrong, Alabama is a loaded group. Uh, they may only be 12-5, and five, loaded group. And it's tough to win in Tuscaloosa, not just in football, but in basketball as well. I just I, I don't know where the winds are going to start rolling in here. I mean, you've basically put yourself in a spot where you've got to go 11-4. and four. I think, is that 19-13? and 13? Maybe it's 18. and No, not even that. It's not going to work. So you're going to need to go 11-2 and two the rest of the way. Missouri's got to go 11-2 and two to give themselves a chance, a chance to get in to the NCAA tournament. It's just not going to happen this year. It's not going to happen this year. And I think Missouri fans would tell you, hey, for the year that the football team put in, we'll take this step back in basketball, especially knowing the recruiting class that's coming in. But it is kind of a downer to see Missouri, after really having such a great year under Dennis Gates, bring in talent to the transfer portal. I mean, Tamar Bates was a really big-time pickup. O'Connor Vanover at the time was a pretty big pickup coming over from Oral Roberts. It just hasn't really gelled together. Uh, This is a team that can't defend anybody, and when you can't defend anybody in the SEC, you're not going to win many basketball games. The other team we're going to dive into here is Kansas State. What a wild one they had in Manhattan over Baylor where uh, nobody's shots were falling in Manhattan, Kansas on Tuesday night. Uh, Baylor shot it 32% or 33% from the floor, 18% from deep, and 47% from the free throw line along with 11 turnovers. K-State, not much better. 40% from the floor, 30% from deep, 77% from the free throw line. This game went into overtime. We know it's Jerome Tang. He's undefeated in overtime. Uh, it's just a, a different group that steps on the floor in those additional five minutes. But Baylor really had K-State up against the ropes in the final minute and a half or so. They led by five. I thought at this point this is going to be the first loss for our Jerome Tang in overtime. Uh, Kansas State had taken some real desperation-type shots, and when I see shots like that, I go, all right, they're just trying to you know, hope something falls in at this point. Because K-State had let that game slip away a few times over the final eight minutes in regulation. Uh, they had had a three-point lead. Not a, not a big lead, but where the momentum had really shifted, and then Baylor came back and got a couple of big buckets. You know, Baylor missed a wide-open look at the end of regulation to go into overtime, but they let this one slip away against Kansas State in that final minute. Uh, There was a huge, big-time shot from the corner in the final minute of overtime by Dorian Finister. Uh, That was a shot that if that doesn't fall and Baylor gets the rebound, game's over. Uh, There was still a minute to go, but... You know, Baylor led by five at that point. If Baylor gets the ball a minute to go, you're probably fouling it, and then it comes down to Baylor knocking down free throws. I will say this about Baylor. Uh, they were ranked ninth going into this game. I don't really know why. Uh, they were the number one three-point shooting team in the Big 12, and they shot it 18% from deep, and they kept trying to force the issue. It wasn't really working. i got to give credit to K-State's defense, but this looks nothing like the Baylor teams from the past. Not exceptionally great guard play. Uh, Jalen Bridges, who has been one of their better uh, backcourt guys, 
I wasn't all that impressed. He was 5 of 13 from the field. A couple of big shots in overtime, but K-State did a good job blocking him up. Then you look at somebody like Jacoby Walter. He had been leading them, I believe, in scoring with 15 points. 3 of 11 from the 4, 0 of 5 from deep. And there were some open looks, too. I mean, K-State had great defense, but there were some real good looks for Baylor that they just weren't knocking in. But K-State gets it done 68-64, to a monumental shot by Arthur Kaluma with 20 seconds to go. They were down by, I believe at that point, they were down by one. Yeah, so it was a one-point game, and Kaluma fired up a three, was fouled, knocked it in, four-point play, uh, led Baylor by... Uh, actually, no, excuse me. They were down by two at that point. So they go up by two after the four-point play. Baylor gets another open look from three-point range. It doesn't fall in. K-State gets the rebound. Tyler Perry ices the game with two free throws from the charity stripe. Tyler Perry was the uh, leading scorer for Kansas State alongside Cam Carter, who fouled, fouled out. I just wasn't all that impressed uh, with Tyler Perry, and I haven't been that impressed with Tyler Perry this season. I know a lot of fans would like to say that, oh, he's the second coming of Marquise Noel. There are some aspects to his game, but you also need credit to Marquise Noel and the player that he was. He was a great facilitator, a great scorer, nearly unstoppable. I think the speed is comparable, but uh, Tyler Perry, his shot selection at certain points of the game, it's just very, very low IQ. And it sounds harsh, but there were moments in overtime, the end of regulation, where they were down by one point and he's shooting a 35-footer. You know, five, ten seconds into the shot clock. That's not good enough. Now, his best game, this is what you cannot deny, he's great from the free throw line. 95% free throw shooter. He iced the game. He was 11 of 12. That's the funny thing. He had 18 points and made three shots from the floor. One of them being a three-pointer, and he was one of eight. From the free throw line, though, he's 11 of 12. I feel like if you want the best out of Tyler Perry, what will make him unguardable is if he can get to the rim. I know he's undersized, but you're drawing contact. You play to the officials in the Big 12. You get to the free throw line, like I said, 10, 11, 12 times a game, you are going to be a great asset to that team offensively. But if you're firing up eight three-pointers and five or six of them are from 30 feet, you better make sure you're hitting them. Now, I'm sure Jerome Tang will take a performance like last night from Perry when you get 18 points, but he's not Marquise Noel. I mean, what we saw from Marquise Noel was uh, really a pass-first point guard that turned into a score. And then in the NCAA tournament, you're getting 30-point performances with 18 assists. That's unheard of. He might be, next to Jacob Poland, the best point guard who's ever played there. Now, Tyler Perry can get there. Let me be quite clear about that. I just think the shot selection needs to get a little bit better. Cam Carter, he's been phenomenal. Big jump in year two at Kansas State. You know, he was 7-14 from the floor. He did have seven turnovers, which was kind of ugly. But overall, he's been a great scorer. I think the best scorer for Kansas State this season. Not much from the front court, and that still concerns me about Kansas State with David Gasson and Will McNair. I think it gets there, though. This was the big win that they needed going in to Big 12 play. Uh, they've got a more of a step-back opponent in Oklahoma State on Saturday at home. But then two huge road tests in Iowa State up at Hilton. And then you will get Houston on the road 
next Saturday. An early tip for that at 11 a.m. It's going to start ramping up a little bit for Kansas State, so getting that win against Baylor was absolutely huge. They're going to get the Cyclones, the Cougars. They'll get Oklahoma at home on Tuesday, January 30th. They'll have to take on Kansas on February 5th. They'll have to go to Provo, take on BYU, who's top 25 on the road, and they'll close out the year on the road at Cincinnati, on the road in Lawrence against Kansas, and then Iowa State at home. But a great, great win for Jerome Tang and his squad as they take down the Bears 68-64. Tang stays undefeated in overtime after a couple of big-time shots from his transfer portal guys. And as for the Jayhawks, uh, no problem whatsoever in Stillwater on uh, Tuesday night. A 90-66 win. This game was never close. Never, ever close. And even though Oklahoma State, I thought, played better on the offensive end in the second half, not better than Kansas, just better than they did in the first half, this never really shrunk below 15. I mean, Kansas built a big lead early on. They jumped out 6-0 in the first minute of this game, and that was pretty much all she wrote. Hunter Dickinson, 21.7 boards. He was unstoppable when he got inside 10 feet. Uh, Kevin McCuller, he had 18.6 boards, 8 assists, uh, another triple-double watch. K.J. Adams, just 80% from the floor. What more can you ask for? Four boards, five assists. Johnny Furphy, second game in a row that he's been starting. Uh, He was red hot out of the gates. Three of four from deep, five of six from the floor, 15 points in the first 14 minutes that he played. Also seven boards to go along with that. No turnovers for a 17-year-old freshman. That is a big development for Kansas. And DeJuan Harris. We know what happens when he scores in double figures. Kansas is going to win 99% of their games. Their only loss was against Arkansas in the second round of the NCAA tournament last year. And DeJuan Harris had 11 points, three assists, only one turnover in this game. And once again, uh, that was another great aspect of Kansas' offense. Not too many turnovers. Not two like they had against Oklahoma on Saturday. Ten this time around. But still, I thought a very clean game. A bench didn't give you a ton, with the exception of a posterizing dunk from Nicholas Timberlake. Uh, that kind of came out of nowhere. But this was kind of that game that I think Kansas needed, especially after what happened last Wednesday in Orlando when they lost to UCF. You just don't want to play with your food against the lesser teams in the Big 12. Oklahoma State's a lesser team. West Virginia's a lesser team. Uh, UCF probably is going to be looked back on as a very bad loss, but you can't make it back-to-back road games where it's ugly. This was probably their most flawless offensive performance next to Wichita State. I mean, you put up 90 points and never have to sweat it out, feel pretty good. Now, what I was shocked with, there was no environment at Gallagher-Iba last night. You know, it just was not the environment we were used to with the Oklahoma State Cowboys. You know, Kansas usually walks in with a pretty rowdy environment, a rowdy group, but, boy, Mike Boynton might be on the hot seat. I don't know how you can look at Mike Boyne and the 8-9 Cowboys and think that he's the guy moving forward. I think there's probably time for a change. I know it's an incredibly young group, but we just haven't seen Mike Boynton and this team take off ever since Cade Cunningham left. And even then, uh, they were an early exit in the NCAA tournament. I'm sure that Oklahoma State boosters, administration, they're all asking that question right now. Not just because of the loss to Kansas, but what it's been like all season long. When you're 8-9, and nine, like we talked about the Missouri 
it's probably wrapped up for you at this point that you're not going to be playing in the postseason in March Madness here in a few months. So Kansas gets it done 90-66. to They will be back in action on Saturday. They will take on West Virginia at 3 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. You also can listen to them on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Kansas State will be at home against Oklahoma State. And as for the Missouri Tigers, they will also play on Saturday, and they will get Florida at 7 p.m. on ESPNU. That's been your college basketball roundup with all three local teams in action. Uh, We'll probably sprinkle in some talk on Friday as we preview some of those games. But coming up next, we are going to take a deep dive into the big game on Sunday between the Chiefs and the Bills. We'll talk that next on ESPN Kansas City. Big game on Sunday, the AFC Divisional Round matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. It'll kick off at 5.30 on CBS. You can listen to some pregame and postgame right over on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Josh Briscoe will have you covered in that department It's only Wednesday, and I think everybody is trying to figure out, for the first time in a long time, where am I watching this football game if I'm not going? No, you're going to try to get into some bars, get into some restaurants. Maybe you're watching at home, hosting a watch party yourself. But this is unprecedented territory if you're a Chiefs fan. Usually there were a chunk of people going to the game, so uh, there might have been some open spots. Uh, Downtown, Power and Light District, maybe up in Overland Park, at least someone on the Missouri side. Wherever you're watching, I don't know, KC Metro area, KCK, you know, there's a lot of places uh, where you could go and, and watch this game on Sunday, and that's why it's kind of fun to think about. Everybody here in Kansas City is going to be finding a place to watch this one because this really feels like a a memorable game that has the opportunity uh, to be one that you remember for quite some time. Uh, this will be a game, I think, win or lose, that you might remember better than any other playoff game. That's not the Super Bowl, of course, with the exception of the divisional one. That, to me, I just feel like is a no-brainer because, one, it's Patrick Mahomes' first road game. and We have not gotten to experience that yet. If you want to say that the Super Bowl game against Tampa Bay, uh, Raymond James Stadium, which was the home of the Bucks, was his first true road playoff game, I won't stop you. But this just feels like, win or lose, whether it's a close game or a blowout, you're going to remember it for a long, long time. Because now we're getting the other side of this Chiefs-Bills story. You know, we're getting a Bills fan base that has been so tortured and left short of expectations so many times get to host you in a playoff game. It was different last year. When they lost to Cincinnati in the divisional round, they have no history with Cincinnati. I mean, they've got a little now because the Bengals beat them in the playoffs, but they don't have the animosity for Cincinnati like they do for Kansas City. Uh, This is the perfect opponent coming to them. And you know the saying of the only way you can get over your fears is to confront them? This is likely what Buffalo is thinking. And I think from a respect standpoint, this is the best possible opponent they could have drawn. You know, if they would have gotten Miami, I mean, yeah, it's a better matchup for them in terms of on-field play. 
the Bills win that game easily if it's cold like it's going to be on Sunday night. But for it to be Kansas City, that's what adds a different element into this. And that's what makes this game a memorable one, even before it's kicked off. I mean, the the stakes are so high. The stakes have never been higher for Buffalo um, going back to their four-year Super Bowl run. And you could say, well, hold on, Jack. The COVID year, they played the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. I get it. Right, you're on the doorstep of the the Super Bowl. But keep in mind, too, that was the beginning of Buffalo's window. When they lost that game, it did not feel like the world was crumbling up in New York. It, it didn't. Because Josh Allen, still incredibly young, it was his first year really taking off. That was Stephon Diggs. He was brand new to Buffalo. That defense was still electric. Sean McDermott was new to the coaching ranks. It felt like that was the beginning. The reason I say the stakes are higher in this one is it is the end of Buffalo if they lose. It's the end of this window. You just you can't lose to Kansas City. And that's, I think, the beauty of Chiefs fans. Even though you may be nervous for this game, you may have this bottled-up tension in reality, when you take a step back, the pressure's not on them. If the Chiefs lose this game, I mean, we, we look back over this cor- the course of the year and go, well, yeah, there were a lot of weaknesses to this team. We understand why this team didn't go that far. They were on the road, bad weather, not a great wide receiver room. Uh, Travis Kelsey had a career, or not a career low, but a season-long receiving yards basically over the last seven. He didn't reach 1,000. You know, there are aspects of this team that just aren't as good as last year, the year before that, year before that. If Buffalo loses this game, it is going to start a tear-down effect, in my opinion. I think a lot is going to boil over. Because at the same time, if the Chiefs win or lose this game, let's say they win this one, move on to Baltimore next week, and they lose to Baltimore, they're going to bounce back with overhauling the offense a little bit, now, the defense may not be the same if there's no Chris Jones or Jerry Sneed, but you're going to get a very good offense next year. The Chiefs' window is not really going to close. Buffalo, on the other hand, we've seen uh, the tension with Stephon Diggs, you know, whether he wants to be there or not. The frustrations, especially when they lose in the playoffs. If they lose again to the Chiefs, that's where this can all start to boil over. I mean, Sean McDermott, uh, though now you can poke fun at it a little bit, you know the the pep talk he had about you know praising what was it Al Qaeda's nine eleven nine eleven yeah I mean praising the way they hijacked the planes like now you can poke fun at it a little bit well they have been six and zero since that they've point. been six and zero but like <laughs> if they lose then that comes it's like oh now we're gonna mock Sean McDermott again and then that all can lead to more issues because then you're becoming a focal point when you really don't want to be and another season doomed by the chiefs i don't know if they can handle it not on their home turf and we touched on that a little bit yesterday of the magnitude of this however jake i look at this matchup and i just think i i feel like this is the least pressure 
Patrick Mahomes has ever had in a playoff game. I could be way off base here, but every game he's played, he's pretty much been the favorite or expected to win. I think there is a large chunk of America that's going with that Chiefs receiving core and the way Buffalo's been 6-0 and since being, what, 6-6? Six and Like, it's a no-brainer to pick Buffalo at home. And when you have that heat, when you have that pressure, it's fun to be the other team for once. I kind of like it. I welcome it. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know if I'm on board with the fact that it's going to be a teardown rebuild because, look, as long as they have Josh Allen as their quarterback, I, I mean, you look at the Peyton Manning-Tom Brady rivalry, and for the longest time the Patriots owned the Colts in that rivalry. Yep. And it was pretty lopsided, you know, and even to the point where, you know, some of the rules were changed in terms of how, you know, how the Patriots, you know, handled the wide receiving core of, of the Colts. So I, I don't think it, because they're not losing a whole lot of free agents at the end of this year. You know, Gabe Davis is a free agent, but, you know, obviously, you know, Diggs is still under contract. Allen's still under contract. Cook's still under contract. Um, their defense is starting to age, and you might see a revamp on their mm-hmm. defense. Um, but I, 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 don't, I, I think the Bills are going to be relevant next year and, and for years to come. Just simple fact that Josh Allen is, is a stud. And, and but look, the Chiefs are the boogeyman, no doubt about it. And the Chiefs are playing with house money. I do wonder that if the Chiefs were to go into Buffalo and lose this matchup, if if years on down the road that we look at a missed opportunity with Patrick Mahomes playing with the best defense that he's ever had. Yeah. And I don't know if he'll ever be this good again. Honestly, I just, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you're going to, Chris Jones is probably gone. You know, you know, Jerry Sneed very likely could not be retained in terms of just look at how the chiefs handle their, their, their cornerbacks, their cornerbacks yeah. in the past. You know, they, they let, Javarius Ward walk. They've let Stephen Nelson walk. They've let, they've let a lot of good cornerbacks walk out the door. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if we'll look back and say, you know, this was a missed opportunity just for the simple fact that the Chiefs defense might not ever be this good with Patrick Mahomes on the other side of the ball. Um, but to your point, it, all the pressure is on the Bills. And that's because, you know, they, they've blown it twice. And, and especially in the, in the, I guess how they blew it yeah. in that first one. Having, I mean, they had it locked up. Yeah, I mean, they all but won that game, and, and their head coach failed to squib kick it and and giving the giving the Chiefs back mm-hmm. the ball with with less than twenty seconds. Yeah, and and so I think with that kind of collapse, with that kind of letdown, you know that that weighs on 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 the pressure. Um, but yes, for certain, the pressure is on the Bills, and you know the Chiefs are going into and, and you're like it is going to be memorable because we're going to see something we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. We've never seen Patrick Mahomes start a game in the playoffs on somebody else's pitch on somebody else's field. Sorry, <laughs> it's not soccer. We- <laughs> Sorry, uh, you know, in somebody else's stadium. So I I think it's going to be awesome. I I can't wait for this game. The buildup is going to be, you know. It's going to be palpable. I, I think it, it's the marquee matchup of the weekend. I mean, you're not hearing anything Mm-mm. like you are about this game. You know, the Ravens are just kind of flying in the background. The Niners, you know, look at the lines for all the other games. Mm-hmm. It's like a couple eight and a half point spreads in the in the one seed games, and 
and I think the the Lions game is sitting at like six and a half. So none of the games are, are even, you know, going to be as close as, as this game or anticipated to be as close as this game. So, um, man, I, I I think this is just another notch in the rivalry, and it, it's a different element. And it's you're finally going to be able to say either the Bills got over the hump yeah, or the Bills missed out on a giant opportunity when they had the Chiefs with a, a, a less than, you know, standard offense to their to their level and and they didn't capitalize and i think i I don't know i it's hard to say i i but i don't i i i'm on your side in terms of yeah patrick mahomes has less pressure on him now than in any other playoff game he's been in um and that's a dangerous thought Mm -hmm. you know patrick mahomes playing with house money (laughs) i mean people betting against him right it's he's he's you know He's not supposed to win this game. No. And I think it's even better for the Chiefs that like this isn't some great loaded team that just underachieved a little bit. Like this has been a team that has been you know, written off, I would say, ever since their mild collapse happened. You know, when you're you're losing to Green Bay in the way that you did, when you're losing to the Raiders and you're having back to back losses and, and people had kind of written you off as all right, it's not gonna be this year. But with the postseason, you kind of rule everything out. And I go back to that Buffalo game. I know that I've said multiple times, hey, you don't really factor in what happened back in Week 9, Week 10. I I do believe that to be the case still. I, I'm not looking at that Bills-Chiefs game in Arrowhead and saying, well, the Bills beat them once, they're not going to beat them twice. I don't see it that way. But there are takeaways. There are takeaways. And the biggest one to me, guess who didn't play in that game? Pacheco. Isaiah Pacheco did not play in that game. The Chiefs had no running game. Right Now, Clyde got going a little bit late in the game, but they went into that feeling like, i got to throw the football over the field. They're not the same guy. I mean, Clyde, it, Clyde did, did a fine job. He did a fine job. It's not Pacheco. No. There's an attitude that Pacheco carries with mm-hmm. him. That line plays different when Pacheco's running behind it. Mm-hmm. It's a different feel. And that just makes me think uh, a little bit, you know, how much had to be held back in, in that game. Because really... Of the last couple years, even though this Chiefs team gives me the least confidence uh, compared to the last four years, this Buffalo team gives me the least confidence in the last four years. There's been much better Buffalo teams that have scared me in terms of the matchup. This Buffalo team really doesn't terrify me. They don't. And not to go too far off topic, but like, take that in consideration, Ravens. If you don't capitalize on this, you're not going to get a better shot at Allen and Mahomes. You know, yep. in the next round, it, that is if bearing an upset, and if if the Texans go into Baltimore <laughs> and upset the Ravens, and we got a whole different could happen. Absolutely, yeah. it's like you know Lamar ja- Lamar Jackson at that point in time would be marked. Yes, you'd be marked like you can't win. You can't you, do it. You cannot win in the playoffs. Which feels also though too like what's on the line this this Sunday. You know, it's so <laughs> it's so hilarious to me that we're quick to forget Mahomes has already won this thing twice. Like, he's won this twice, whereas any other quarterback has even won. I don't think uh, they are even considered to be like, they got to win it this time around. Like, when you just take a step back, Patrick Mahomes doesn't need to win the Super Bowl this year for his legacy. He's already won two. He could go the rest of his year without winning one. It'd be disappointing because of how successful he was early on. But, like, he's going in the Hall of Fame, and you will say, that's a two-time Super Bowl winner, probably more MVPs to that point. Like, decorated as it can be. Now, I'm sure he wants to rival Brady and get up to seven. It's going to be tough in the current day AFC, but for all these other quarterbacks, Lamar, 
uh, and Josh Allen more than Stroud and Mahomes. Stroud just got here. Stroud doesn't need to win. He's already overachieved. But for Lamar and Allen, they've got that mark on him a little bit already. Uh, they've got that X that they give you outside the bar, outside the club when you're you're going in and you're over the age of 21. You're marked. Okay, they can't win in the playoffs. They haven't won the big game. Joe Burrow's got that edge over him. He's won road playoff games. He's gotten to the Super Bowl. They're not here this year, but Allen and Lamar, this has to be your year. And in my opinion, Jake, if Josh Allen doesn't beat the Chiefs here, he's never going to. He never will. It feels like one of those brutal mental hurdles where there could be a year, four years down the road, where Patrick Mahomes at age, what will he be? 31, 30, no, he's not 26. He's, is he 28? 27, I think. 27. 27 he's 31, 32. And Travis Kelsey is retired. And this Chiefs team gets in at 10 and 7. Let's say they're a wild card team. 28 years old, turned 28 so, in September. So 32. 32. And he, they go play Buffalo, and they've got this 3 0 record, and Josh Allen beats Patrick Mahomes in the wild card weekend. Yeah, it'll be like that time when Peyton Manning beat Tom Brady in what was that, the AFC divisional round? Uh, in Indianapolis, that wild shootout they had. Like, but nobody really remembers it that much except for Colts fans. Like, when you're on the big stage, when you're in your prime and you are stacked up against each other time and time again and you can't beat that guy, it's always going to be a stain on your legacy. It always is. And we've looked at the AFC this year and kind of said it's a little bit weaker. Uh, Baltimore, I still think, deserves its flowers. They are a scary football team. But it's not as loaded as, as it's been in the past when the Chiefs were at the top of their game, the Bengals were at the top of their game, the Bills were at the top of their game, and then you've got some sleepers like Jacksonville and Baltimore. You know, those teams that can strike some fear in you. Uh, right now, the final four teams in the AFC, you've got a team that picked number one overall last year, uh, a Baltimore team that of course, is the scariest right now in the AFC. And then I think two of the the alphas of the AFC that have been there the last couple of years, you know, those are two teams that are kind of experiencing lower seasons than they're used to. Uh, Buffalo went through a lot of adversity this year. They were 6-6. Six and six. They didn't think they were going to make the playoffs, or at least people outside of Buffalo didn't think they were going to make the playoffs. Kansas City never had their playoff spot threatened, but they just weren't as powerful as they've been in years past. And that's why I just think it, it all adds up. It all comes to a point on Sunday where with the legacy on the line, a loss for Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion, it doesn't stain it. It doesn't. Because as Jake pointed out, people are betting against him in this game. Buffalo is supposed to win. Vegas thinks Buffalo's going to win. For Josh Allen, though, if you lose this game, I don't think you ever recover from it. Well, I mean, it, I was just looking at the Brady-Manning matchup, and it was it was Manning's third postseason game against Brady that he finally won in 06. Okay, so this is number three for yeah. Allen as well. Right, So right. I mean, they, they faced each other four times in the postseason. Three times were Colts-Patriots, and then the fourth time was was the year Manning went to the Super Bowl in, in that matchup. That, that was the... Uh, like, what year was that? It was when one of the three years is the second year that he yeah. was with the Broncos. So I mean, all time, uh, Brady was eleven and six against Manning. All seventeen matchups is ridiculous. Two and two, two and two in the playoffs. But but you see too, like so two and two. So you have the the five hundred split there. So Manning got him twice right. in the last, the last two, two meetings. Right. 
But it's like we don't even – I mean, I remember those games. Like I said, I remember the shootout in Indianapolis between New England and the Colts, and I remember that that AFC uh, championship game, I think it was. Back-to-back years. It was oh, So divisional in 04 and then in 03 it was the AFC championship okay. game. So the first matchup they ever had in the postseason was in 03. That was the AFC championship game. Okay. It, And that's, I think, kind of what I get back to. If Mahomes gets this third and he's three and zero, does Allen ever catch him? Does Allen? Uh, he'll, he'll never catch him. It'll be. I mean, but will he ever beat him? I think it's it's possible. It, it's certainly possible. It's more likely than not if they were yes. to match up again. And that's the thing. You know, they might not. I mean, yeah. we think they might. We mm-hmm. think they could. Yeah, but they, this might be the last match they could. ever play against each other in the playoffs, and, and that's kind of what I, I get back to with Buffalo. Like I, I know that Josh Allen is uh, top five quarterback in the league. I think him and Mahomes have the best rivalry in the league. We have also seen, and this kind of feels like one of those wild, you know, conspiracy type takes. But we have seen quarterbacks built like Josh Allen not last that long, or at least play at the top of their game for a while. Cam Newton comes to mind. A guy that never really cared to, you know, avoid the contact. He went straight into it because he was 6'6", 260 pounds. Josh Allen's the same way. Like, to your point of saying this could be the last meeting between them, who knows if Buffalo, like, what if Buffalo next year misses the playoffs? And then that's when a, a teardown effect happens. What if Allen's, you know, success immediately declines if they lose this football game? I mean, Allen had 18 interceptions this year. And he's still got his number one target. What happens when that number one target goes away? We're kind of seeing in the Patrick Mahomes era, when you don't have a true number one wide receiver, how does your offense look? This year it hasn't been very good. Hasn't been very good in the red zone. So just something to think about uh, going into this game between the Chiefs and the Bills. Again, we'll have much, much more to go over in this game before Sunday rolls around. 5.30 kickoff on CBS Chiefs and Bills. AFC Divisional matchup. Matchup number three. Round three between Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. We'll break down all of the divisional round games tomorrow in our Running the Spread segment. But for today, let's take our second break and come back. Don't know if you saw this question asked by a reporter to Todd Bowles about the weather in Detroit. We'll get into that next on ESPN Kansas City. We are wrapping up the shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. Well, we got more divisional round games other than the Chiefs and the Bills. And in fact, you're going to get your fix in for all of those divisional games before the Chiefs and Bills kick off. And the one on Sunday before Kansas City and Buffalo will be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Detroit Lions. And we'll talk about that game coming up tomorrow in our Running the Spread segment. We'll do uh, deeper dives in all those games because less games to pick from this time around. But Todd Bowles, who's done a great job with Tampa Bay this year, uh, they do get a playoff win. They've already overachieved. They lose to Detroit. Who cares? They have 10 total wins on the year. Baker Mayfield uh, basically revived his career. It was blinking. The life meter was blinking after being uh, let go by Carolina. He probably made himself some money, too. He did. Because you look at the free agent market mm-hmm. for the quarterbacks, not oh, a whole lot yeah. of options. I think Tampa Bay will try to get something done uh, as soon as their season is over, whenever that may be. But Todd Bowles, uh, who I think got a lot of criticism last year, taking over Bruce Arians, um, you know, it was Tom Brady's last year. It didn't really go according to plan. They still won their division with eight wins. But to do it with Baker Mayfield, 
Uh, very, very impressive stuff. So he was you know, going through his weekly press conference, and he's breaking down this upcoming game. And one reporter, who I have to imagine doesn't cover sports, uh, thought it would be a good idea to ask him a question about this upcoming game. Let's hear that piece of audio. Coach, uh, looking forward towards um, Detroit. Um, the weather has been a factor in some of the playoff games, even for the most prepared teams. Uh, today it's uh, 13 in uh, Detroit, which doesn't compare to some of the temperatures we tend to talk to. Any special plans to acclimate the team to not only uh, endure but perform in those kind of frigid temperatures should you face them in Detroit? You do know we play indoors, right? And they got a dome. I don't um, no, nothing planned. We're, we're indoors, and we only have to be outside for 20 seconds getting off the bus, going under the thing, so we'll be okay. So that was Todd Bowles the other day, head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, asking or answering a question asked by a reporter about how they plan to deal with the temperature of Detroit, not knowing that the Lions play in a dome. Incorrect. I worked uh, in, for a newspaper in college, and there were times that, you know, based off a short staff, that you would have to go to a press conference of something you didn't cover. Uh, sometimes they would send you know, sports editors, sports journalists, beat reporters to, like, a, a hearing at the courthouse. Like, you just went there to to get audio, basically, write down some stuff, and go back to the newsroom. There were times, based off somebody being sick, couldn't come in, that they would send a uh, politics reporter or a politics correspondent to a basketball press conference because you were just short-staffed. I feel like this had to be the case, whoever that person was. But every time somebody went to an event they didn't cover, they either A, didn't ask a question, or B, they really informed themselves, and if they were going to ask one question, it better have been a good one. How this reporter did not have knowledge that Detroit, for their entire existence, have played in a dome, decided to ask a question about the weather, is beyond me. Now, maybe... Her intention was to to ask a question about you know the weather. There could be flight cancellations. You know how do you plan differently throughout the week if you have to leave early, if you have to leave later, something gets canceled. But she didn't ask that. <laughs> she asked about how you game plan on the field for conditions like that. And I love Todd Bowles' answer of "You do know we play indoors, right?" He says, "No, I don't have anything planned differently. We only have that." two-minute walk from the bus to, to we the... Know we play indoors, right? They got a dome. We have that two-minute walk indoors, so we'll be fine. And I love it, too, how after he kind of pauses, right, when he says, you do know we play indoors, she doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't respond. Because I think in her mind she's going, oh, no. This is going to go viral. This is, I am going to be hammered for this. And thankfully... She didn't say her name or her publication before she asked that question, so we'll just never know what she looked like. Uh, there are people. There are people digging it up right now. <laughs> I know personally. <laughs> there are people who are looking for that information. But, I uh, do feel bad because yeah, it, sure. I, you could tell that the question he she handled asked, it. He handled it like he handled it well. He could have trashed it. Yeah, he could. He just kind of said, "Well, could have been like next question." That's ridiculous. Yeah. 
That, Why would you be asking me that? And that, I remember when I first started going to press conferences, that was my biggest fear, was asking a question that a coach would scoff at or be like, what are you, what are you talking about? So if I was going to ask a question, I made sure that it was the most open-ended question. You can take it however you it's It's a normal question. I'm not rambling on for a 45 seconds about a question where you don't even know what's really being asked. But that's incredible. Right? What It's different if it was like, I don't know, the Raiders or the Chargers who played outdoors and then moved to a city where they do not. Detroit's always been in the Dome. They've always, always been in the Dome. Always. always been in the Dome. You've never had to worry about temperatures or weather in Detroit. The Silver Dome and then Ford Field. Oh, my God. God. Or if it was like with Minnesota, because um, the Metrodome basically had the, the snow collapse into the field, and they had to go play at University of Minnesota's football stadium for the playoffs. That is a great question to ask for something like that. Detroit, to my knowledge, have they ever played a game in Detroit outside of a no. dome? No. No. I mean, not in any time... Like, Maybe in the 40s or 50s. I don't know. They might have had an outdoor stadium, but not not any time the, since the merger, put it that way. <laughs> and I hate to be that, that media uh, like gatekeeper, but in today's world, I'll be honest, you can get credentialed for just about anything. You could be an independent blogger and, and get credentialed to an NFL game, a playoff game at that. What a question. What an answer from Todd Bowles. Uh, Bucks and Lions coming up Sunday afternoon. They will lead you into the Chiefs and the Bills. There is Ray Charles, so it's time to go. That wraps up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 AM. You take it easy, Kansas City. You say so. I'll have to pack my things and go. Yeah.